everyone, it's Gloria, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of Independent. Happy New Year! A new year means $6,000 more in TFSA contribution room for 2021 and perhaps a goal to start or continue investing your money. Today, I'm here with my friends Jill and Maddie, and we will be talking about investing for the long term. We'll go over some investing basics, our investing strategies, and get into whether there are gender differences in investing. Hope you enjoy. Today, I am here with my friends, Maddie and Jill. Thank you so much for joining me today. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourselves? Jill, you can go first. Thank you for having us. So my name is Jill and I'm a management consultant and I've been working for a little over a year after I graduated school. Hey, I'm Maddie. I'm 24 and I've been also working as a consultant for the past year since I graduated. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having us. So what is your relationship with money? My relationship with money was very always very like anxious about money. Like I was always like worried that I wouldn't like make enough because life's expensive. And I remember this like so distinctly, probably secondary university when we had to buy groceries ourselves. That was when we moved out of the first year dorms. I realized how expensive food was. And that was so shocking to me. And then I think ever since then, I was always like, oh my God, life's so expensive. And that made me really anxious because I was like, how am I going to be able to afford life? That has influenced my investing, basically. I'm better now, but I think before I was a very risk-averse investor. And how have you been able to get over that anxiety with money? I think just learning more about it. This idea of if you invest now, it will grow later. It'll just be long-term. I think that getting that idea in my head and the idea of compound interest help me be like, okay, if I do this, then I'll be fine. Yes, we love compound interest. Jill, what about you? Yeah, I would say mine is very similar. Growing up, I always um, had a job and I like to save a lot of money. And it was easy for me to save money because I lived at home up until I finished university. So I'd say I always had like a good relationship with it because I always felt very stable. But then I moved out a year ago and I the same realization happened to me that like, oh my God, things are so expensive. How are you supposed to like afford to live, but then also save money? So that was like a big shock, definitely. And how have you been able to deal with that shock? I think really take a look at your finances and seeing like what things are necessary purchases and what things can go makes a big difference. Having that check-in, actually taking a look item by item what you're purchasing. I found to be a huge difference. Yes, totally agree. Tracking expenses is so key. Today's topic is an introduction to investing. So why don't we start from the beginning? What is investing to you? So the way that I think of it and the way that it was kind of like first brought to me is like having your money make more money in an easy way to put it. Yeah, that's pretty much what I think of when I think of investing. Yeah. And just to add on to that, it's also generating passive income through dividends and also capital gains when you sell your investments. So it's kind of like making money while you sleep. So what do you think is the difference between saving and investing? When you're saving, your money's not doing anything. It's just kind of sitting there. Versus when you're investing, your money does something. It increases in value when you invest it. 
But also I think investing is like a type of saving where savings isn't a type of investing. Yes, absolutely. Especially with the interest rates now, right? Negligible when inflation is like 2% or 3% every year. So it makes your money worth less over time if you don't invest it actually. Yeah, that was something that I realized when I looked into my high interest savings account and it was like 0.05. And I was like, yeah, that's not even keeping up (laughs) with inflation. I just put that in like a GIC. But if you're, and it's like, if you're saving, if you just have it in a savings account, then you're, you're basically losing money. Yeah, that's a big realization for me too, because I was like, wow, like I don't know enough to invest my money. And this was like before the robo advisors and stuff. So I was like, let me just put a small amount into some ETFs. And then I realized that that money was doing so much better than the money that I had in my savings account. And that was kind of like a moment for me where I was like, I need to invest more money. And I have a question. What are the robo advisors? The one that I use right now is Wealthsimple Invest. And basically, it's an algorithm or something that invests for you. So basically, you put an amount and then they automatically put it into different ETFs based on your risk tolerance. And then they also rebalance it for you automatically. It's basically a robot that trades on your behalf, but it's mostly ETF investing that they do. Wow. So when did you start investing? We'll get into your strategy in a bit. (laughs) I started when I was 16. Basically, like I had my first job and I was all excited because I was like saving my money and like my savings account. And I was like telling my dad, I was like, this is so great. Like, look how much I'm saving. And he was like, why are you just leaving it in there? I was like, what do you mean I'm saving? And he's like, why not have your money make more money and invest it? So then that's when I started. Wow, that's really early to have started investing. That's awesome. Maddie, what about you? I started when I was in second year. It's like at that point I had done, you know, finance 101 kind of thing. And I I had a good idea of what it meant to invest. But I was really, I think because I just had such little money at that point that I was nervous about losing it. So I put it in like bonds, basically. I was just like, I just want to keep up with the rate of inflation and be secure knowing that like it'll save and it'll I won't lose money so when I basically me starting to invest was me putting my money into like BMO bonds that's really good though even if it was bonds you still generated a return that was better than your savings account interest rate so Maddie you mentioned the power of compound interest let's do an illustrative example to compare interest rates over time let's say you had 10k to invest at 1.5 interest, which is probably the best high interest savings account that you can get right now. Do you think that the difference between 1.5 interest and 6% interest is going to be huge? Yeah, that's going to be like massive. I, I don't know how much, but it's going to be like big. I agree. I think that it would make a huge difference as well. Yeah. So 10K with 1.5% interest over 30 years, um, you'll get 15K around after 30 years and you would have earned 5.6K in interest at a 6% interest rate, which is kind of the average of the stock market kind of on the conservative side. If you invest in an ETF that tracks the market after 30 years, you'll have 57K and the interest earned will be 47K. It is a huge difference. And you literally just do the same thing with your money, right? You put it in somewhere and then you just forget about it. 
And it's crazy how your money can work for you like that. That's crazy. Let's talk a little bit about different asset classes. So name some, name a couple, throw them out. Stocks, bonds, and then actual real, then real estate. Yeah. Wouldn't that be like stocks, bonds, and real estate? Yeah. So according to Investopedia, the three main asset classes are stocks, bonds, and money market assets like GICs. And they consider real estate and things like crypto and other financial derivatives like futures to be alternative investments. And I guess this is kind of a historic view of what asset classes are. And now things are changing as these alternative investments become more and more mainstream. And with higher risk comes higher rewards. So money market and bonds are lower risk, while equities and alternative investments are higher in risk. So to quickly go over what each asset class is, stocks are investing in part of a company where you're eligible for dividends if they are paid and capital gains when you sell the stock and if it has gone up in value. Bonds are essentially lending money to a company or government body where you will get your money back plus interest on top of that. And then mutual funds and ETFs are collections of these securities. GICs. What is a GIC? I think it's a guaranteed investment certificate. And that basically says they'll tell you, okay, this could be, this is a 2% GIC. So it's, it's supposed to mean that your money will guaranteed grow 2%, but there's usually a low or like negligible fee associated with it, but it's a very minimal amount that it will grow. And the longer term ones typically have a higher return. So the ones that are three years have like a, like a three to 5% GIC. And then there's the short term ones are like 1.5 basically. Yeah. It's good if you have a big purchase coming up and you like in a year, like let's say you want to buy a condo and like, you just want to make sure you're keeping up with the rate of inflation. They're great for that. If you're like a low risk investor, they're kind of 10. And ETF stands for exchange traded fund, which is typically a collection of securities that track an underlying index. And this can be stocks or bonds. Examples are the S&P 500, which is comprised of the 500 largest U.S. companies, or the AG, which is the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, which is comprised of U.S. government and corporate bonds. What are mutual funds? I've never invested in any mutual funds. Mutual funds is just a bunch of like equities that are together in a fund that someone professionally manages. And a lot of the times they'll track the market or certain aspects of the market. You can get like technology mutual funds, for an example. So why don't we talk a little bit about your investing strategy and how did you find one that works for you? So I started out with bonds, obviously. And then from there, I went to um, a bank managed mutual fund within my TFSA. And I split that up into a high growth one and like a low growth one that was like a lot more stable. I went from paying like 2.1% in bank fees for that to like... That's crazy. It was so bad. But what was the rate of return though? Because if it was like 10%, then that's like probably fine. So that, that's why I was fine with it. I know we're going to talk about gender differences in investing, but one of the biggest things was just I just felt so much more secure with that because in 2018 and 2019, my portfolio, portfolio grew a lot and I was like really happy with it. It was like over 10%. I was so happy with it. And then obviously 2020, <laughs> she went down, but 
it was really good at that time. And I was like, fine with it. And then, but then, you know, we started talking more about how you don't pay any bank fees basically. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you look at the difference between, you know, 1.5% and like 6%, like that's, that can be huge. So, I mean, I, I started investing in individual stocks after that, but, and I switched my mutual fund to be based on ETFs. So that lowered the bank fees by to 1.6 and 1.7. That's still a lot, but I think when I think of, I like to feel that my money is working and I'm not, I don't have to worry about it. Cause like there are people whose job it is to like, make sure I get that return and I feel comfortable with that. But at the same time I am doing individual kind of investing. And that's, that's something that I just started doing this year after, you know, all my friends do it. And like, they gave me a lot of like advice, which was really helpful. And I started doing my own research, but I just started doing that this year, basically. So my investment strategy, I started out doing mutual funds and then I moved on to equity. So I started doing stocks. It was kind of 50-50 at that point. I had like a good mix of uh, mutual funds and stocks. And I just did it by myself. So I would just like research whatever stocks I thought would be good. And I kind of took a look at like where I thought the market would be going and like what industries I wanted to invest in. And then I found like specific stocks from there. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of your stock picking strategy? Like how do you go about that? So I like to look at things that I think are going to be stable for a while Um, because I want to invest more for long term. I'm not looking for quick short term gains. I'm looking for things that I think are going to be stable and be here for a while. I like to look at for example, bank stocks, those are very stable in Canada. And like other things like insurance, also very stable industry. I like to look at industries that I know are going to be stable, or I'll either look at industries that are going to be going, I think like we're going to go in the direction of eventually. So now I've been looking at like renewable energy, because I think like in 20 years and 30 years and 40 years, I think that's going to be a big shift for us. So I'll look at some stock picks in there. So basically, I'll just look for like market leaders in those industries. And then I'll kind of look at, you know, their balance sheet, what they're like, if there's news about them, anything like that. And why have you decided to pick individual stocks as opposed to just invest in ETFs that track the market? Because I think the main strategy that I've heard from people is like, you should just buy the market because you can't beat the market yourself just by picking stocks. Yeah, I mean, that is true. I think the thing is, because I already had mutual funds, I already felt like I was kind of like protected in a sense. I already had half of my portfolio just tracking like the market with those mutual funds so that I can kind of be a little more picky like with where I want to put other parts of my money I like to invest in like some businesses that like I believe in and that I think are going to do really well so it kind of is a little more personal Mm -hmm. yeah so I think at the same time like there's also yeah like with greater risk there's like also greater upside as well because when you're picking these stocks and like you said that you believe in them then and they do really well then it's probably like potentially going to do better than the market and there's there's yeah. a greater upside of that as well but exactly like and I've seen that too like with some of my stocks they've done 
way, way, way better than some of the mutual funds that like track the market. So I got like lucky in that sense. Yeah, but it could go both ways, right? Like there's there's yeah. some that can just like not do well. Yeah. And I think that's like the thing about like doing your like due diligence too and like making sure that your whole stock portfolio is like diversified in case one does tank. You don't want to lose it all. Exactly. So I think that's the main thing. Before you purchase a stock, an individual stock, you need to do your due diligence to make sure that it's all good and that you are willing to accept the risk that it involves. I completely agree. Maddie, do you have anything to add about your stock picking journey? Oh, the other thing I wanted to add was, and then my mutual funds are in my TFSA. And so is my GIC. And also right now, all my funds, my bank are within my TFSA. And then they have a an individual direct investing line that I use. But I, so I mostly invest in ETF funds because I, yeah, like I agree with that strategy of, you know, you can't beat the market. And then the same as Jill, uh, which is insurance companies and a bank right now. It's very low risk, my strategy. Um, and then I think that once I get more comfortable, once I feel that I can do better, I'll invest in more maybe businesses and more companies that I believe in that are that are maybe a lot more speculative right now. Um, but I think renewables is a great suggestion. You know, I think that um, sustainability investing is going to be huge in the next like 30 years. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. My next question for you both is when should you invest? Yesterday. <laughs> That's really as possible. Yeah. No, it, it's so true though, because I mean, I didn't for so long. I just like stuck mutual funds and bonds and I, you know, GICs. And I, I regret that. I wish I started investing in, you know, ETFs and some stocks that I believed would have grown uh, earlier for sure. Yeah, I would say like the same thing, like whenever you feel comfortable to do it because there's never, you're never starting too early. Yeah, very true. There's a saying that's like time in the market beats timing the market. So it's definitely better to invest for the long term and not try to time the market. Yeah, I think like you're, you're never going to know how the market's going to work. You can sell something. And then even if you got like a 200% return, you can be upset about it the next day because it still went up. Like you're never going to time the market just perfectly. It's almost impossible. Yeah, that's why I think the best strategy is dollar cost averaging, which is where you just put a set amount every single month or biweekly or quarterly, whatever. So it's something that you set it and then you forget it and then your money just grows. Yeah, I agree. Now let's talk about risk tolerance. What is risk tolerance and how do you determine your risk tolerance? This is your appetite for risk, essentially. And it's based on a variety of things. I I think it's also just based on your personality, but also your goals. So if you have a short-term goal versus like a long-term goal, you may be less risky in the short term, but you you may have a higher appetite for risk in the long term because you know your, your money's going to grow, basically. I think a lot of it is based on your personality, though, too. If you're someone who is generally just not a risky person and the idea of those fluctuations makes you nervous, then you're just more risk averse. 
So it's being risk-seeking and risk-averse. I think it also depends on like your living situation. If you're living like at home with your parents, you may have a different degree of risk than someone who's living in an apartment downtown Toronto who's paying like $2,000 in rent every month. I think that makes a big difference too. That's true. Yeah, I agree. Your situation definitely makes a huge difference. Yeah, that and also time horizon as well, right? Because a lot of people are investing so that they have a nest egg for retirement, right? So if you're younger, then I think that it's okay to take more risk because you have more time to recoup any losses that you may incur. Let's go over the different options that you have for investing. So I personally use a robo-advisor, Wealthsimple Invest, and I also have an account with Wealthsimple Trade where I buy my own ETFs and also I have a small amount of play money where I just pick speculative stocks, which is like money that I'm super okay with like going to zero. And then I also have a Quest Trade account, which is the first account that I used to buy ETFs with. I use CIVC investing and I just use their direct investment portal. The only reason I use CIBC is because when I was 18, that's what I got set up with when I opened my TFSA. And then now I like how everything's all in one place. And I like how I can easily move money from like my checking account to my investing account within like a couple of minutes. Oh, really? That's that's really yeah. handy because it takes me three days to move my money. I would hate that. I just like when I get into like the investing mindset, I want to like do it now. I don't want to like wait because <laughs> I know I'll like wait too long. I like that. I like the convenience that it offers. Mm-hmm. Are there a lot of fees involved with it though? It's like $6 a trade, but I mean, for me, honestly, it's kind of worth it. I don't make a lot of trades if I'm being honest. I like to invest and then just let it sit there forever. Okay, so Maddie, what's your investment mix? So basically, I I have my TFSA and then my mutual funds in my TFSA. It's about 90% in my TFSA, which is a mix of the fixed income, high growth mutual fund, and a GIC. And then like a little bit, like 10% is now in ETFs and an insurance company. So it's a very risk averse strategy. And then in terms of, so I also do it through my bank, the BMO direct investing one. You guys were talking about how expensive $7 is. Um, Mine is $10 per trade. Really? Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. So that's not great. I would cancel that. that. Yeah. Like that's not a great time. Um, So it's very, and I was talking to my friend about it who has a very similar, I think his is like $9.99. And he's like, oh, you know, it makes me really consider my trades for sure. And not, I'm not tempted to like day trade or whatever. I'm like, which you can't with this. Yeah. So heavily considering switching, but the problem is like Jill, I like the integration with my account and it's so easy for me just to see everything and just this lovely little platform. So now let's talk about gender differences in investing. Do you think that gender differences exist in investing strategies and behaviors? I never really thought about this until um, you mentioned it a couple of days ago. I never thought that there would be gender differences in investing, but I guess it makes sense that there are. I think it maybe doesn't come down to gender. It just comes back to like the risk that people have. 
I think there are definitely gender differences in investing because, you know, we talked about people who are more risk averse because of their situation. You know, women typically make less money. They die later. So they have to save for retirement more. I think because of that, they are typically a little bit less risky than men who typically have, you know, higher disposable income. Yeah. So I was doing a little bit of research on a couple of things in terms of people who manage mutual funds and people who work in that space. What's the percentage of mutual fund managers do you think are women compared to men? Ooh, I'm going to be pessimistic. I'm going to say it's like, I think optimistic is 80-20, but I think pessimistic is like 90-10. I would have said 80-20. okay. That's kind of close, but actually, according to a Harvard Business Review article, only 2% of mutual funds are managed exclusively by female portfolio managers, which is crazy to me. That's crazy, yeah. Wow. And within hedge funds, 4% of portfolio managers are women, but only 1.5% of the assets are under their control. So that means that they typically have smaller hedge funds compared to that of men. Do we know why there are more men managing funds than women? I think it's a combination of a number of reasons. Since there aren't many women in this area to begin with, it probably doesn't attract a lot of women to apply. And therefore, there are fewer role models and potential mentors who look like them. And so it may be more difficult to get ahead in the industry. So it's kind of like a cycle of not letting women in. But I do think that they're trying to change that. I wonder if it's the hours because I know they're working really late hours and if more women are prone to like leaving and doing other jobs like later later in their career. I was going to say, I think that that, the drop-off makes a lot of sense. If, you know, if they're looking for more stable hours, like maybe they want to raise a family and, you know, maybe they they can find probably a position that's a lot more stable and less commission-based. I think that, and I don't want to sound like I'm generalizing or like sexist, but I think that men tend to go towards more commission-based income versus like women tend to prefer more stable income. Like as I think about my accounting classes, it was a lot more women that wanted to do the accounting major than men and typically more men that wanted to finance than women because I think that women are more attracted to a stable income. So almost all the women that were surveyed in this had children and 22 indicated that being a mother had slowed their career trajectory. And this was out of 35 women investment managers. And you're right about the lack of flexibility in the industry. So I think that that's kind of historically why. Studies have shown that women are just as good, if not better asset managers than men. So it's definitely not because women aren't good at this job. There's a really interesting New York Times article that dives deep into the question of why there aren't that many mutual funds managed by women, and I will link it in the show notes. Also, in terms of retail investors, historically, there's been kind of a gap between men and women investing in stocks. 
So according to the survey done by Gallup in 2017, between 2001 to 2008, 65% of men and 59% of women owned stocks. And then after the financial crisis, between 2009 to 2017, 56% of men and 52% of women were investing in stocks. So the gap has definitely narrowed since then and I think is continuing to narrow one in one of the articles, it said that women typically, they're the ones who invest in renewables and stuff like that more, like sustainability investing and impact investing. A lot of women do that more, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And because sustainability investing has increased in popularity over the past couple of years, there's been more participation in the market because of it. That's so good. It's good that they have that option because I think that like I have a friend, for example, and he does a lot of impact investing. So he only invests in things that are sustainable, that are really his core values. And he wants his like investments to reflect that. So I'm glad that those options exist. Yeah. And I think another reason is just that it's becoming so much more accessible to invest for everyone really. Now we have apps on our phone that can trade for free, like Wellsimple Trade or Robinhood in the States, and you can buy fractional shares. So you can really invest with very little money. It Basically, all you need is a social insurance number and a phone, and then you download the app and then away you go. So what are some key points that you have for investing for the long term? Definitely, you should consider investing in an index exchange trade fund or an index ETF if you don't feel comfortable picking individual companies like me. Um, An individual ETF is essentially an investment product which contains numerous individual stocks, usually some of the more bigger dominant ones in the market. Uh, So giving you exposure to a wide array of sectors and companies. So you, div- you reduce your risk through diversification, basically. Yeah, so you pick an ETF that tracks like the S&P 500 or like the Dow Jones. You can track the TSX. You can track emerging markets. There's so many things. You can track bonds. There's so many. But if you're just starting out or like don't really want to like worry about it, I would recommend looking at the Vanguard all-in-one ETF funds. So you can buy like VGrow, which stands for like Vanguard Growth Fund. And it has a bunch of ETFs rolled up into it and it rebalances for you. I would say my tip is to not focus on like getting rich quick and like making sure you're trying to beat the market. I think my tip would be to like make sure you're really researching everything you're putting your money into and making sure that you believe in what you're buying. And think of like your investing goals and that's how you should make your decisions. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that investing is a long game. And when people say like, oh, like I made like this much money like day trading, like it's very risky because if you can make that much, then you can also lose that much as well. So it's it's really important to, yes, do due diligence and make sure that you understand what you're getting yourself into if you are going to be buying individual stocks. But also don't freak out if the market dips because it'll come back. Like I think people obviously stressed out um, over COVID when the market was dipping, but I did too. (laughs) I didn't take my money out. I just kept it in like, and then it obviously got back. Yeah, the market goes in cycles. 
Yeah, I also think that like you shouldn't worry too much about like what other people say. Um, like you said, because no one's going to tell you about like all the money they lost. They're only going to tell you about like their good days and like how much they earned. So you shouldn't like stress out. <laughs> That's such a good point. Yeah. Being an emotional investor will not lead you down a good path at all. Oh my God, no. And my friends that have like with their accounts, they'll send screenshots to our group chat and be like, oh, like, I'm, like every day, every day I get screenshots to my friends who are like investing and the constant, they're like, oh, like I dipped $50 today. Like, oh no. And it's just, I can't, you gotta like put it away. Yeah. <laughs> you don't you literally it. can't look. Some days I'm down thousands and on this day. Yeah, I can't look. Exactly. You can't let that get me down. <laughs> and I'm down so much. I didn't. Oh my God. Over that, like in March, I literally could not look at my account because I was so upset. And I would like, I was texting my boyfriend just like, oh my God, you know, it's so bad, blah, blah. He's just like, stop looking at it. Like you're freaking yourself out. Stop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also I think it's really important to make it a habit to invest. So automate your payments that go into your investment account. And if you can, like just automate it into a robo advisor or something. So you just set it and forget it because dollar cost averaging is, I guess, the best way in the long term to make your money grow. Another thing to think about is that there's no money like too small. Like you could always invest, even if it's just small little amounts, it's going to make a difference in the long term. Awesome. So that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a very insightful conversation. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. As the aspiring Miss Independent, this is Gloria signing out. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And if you're using Apple Pods, please toss me five stars. It would help me so, so much. So see you next time. Until then, stay healthy and grow wealthy.